Hello everyone, welcome back to a new year with us at Juralex Sedlex. To start this new year, we have a very interesting topic for you today. This week's episode will be about the human rights activists who recently faced charges of espionage, being members of a criminal organisation, human trafficking, money laundering and fraud by Greek authorities. We will even hear from Irish MEP Grace O'Sullivan at the end of today's episode as she is one of the MEPs who championed the case on an EU level. Sarah Mardini, Sean Binder and 22 other humanitarian workers have recently been the epicentre of a trial that has shocked the humanitarian world. Sarah Mardini is originally from Syria, having fled as a refugee to Germany and many of our listeners might know her from the recent Netflix biographical drama about the lives of her and her sister called The Swimmers. Sean Binder is an Irish-German citizen who has a background in international relations and as his father was a refugee, he felt a strong connection with what was going on in Greece. The volunteers helped with ERCI, which stands for Emergency Response Centre International. They are a group who provide search and rescue missions and humanitarian aid in the Mediterranean Sea. According to Binder, the ERCI initially worked closely with the authorities in a joint effort to help asylum seekers and refugees. Mardini and Binder met when they were both working with the ERCI on the Greek island of Lesbos in 2017. As both are formidable swimmers, they were working as lifeguards in the area, often just providing people with water and blankets when they arrived on the beach. In February 2018, Binder and a member of his team were arrested while on duty by the Greek police, however they were let go without charge. Mardini was arrested and brought to a Greek police station in August 2018 and when Binder arrived he too was promptly arrested. The pair were then detained for pre-trial detention in a high security prison in Athens for three months. The case has been described by experts as the largest criminalization of solidarity in Europe. As mentioned, the pair were among 24 aid workers who were all arrested on similar charges, including money laundering, smuggling and espionage. They were accused of money laundering because they repeatedly asked for donations via their social media accounts. Moreover, they were charged with espionage because during a search control, binoculars and radio equipment were found. Additionally, the workers used WhatsApp to communicate. Now, the Greek state argues that these were used to intercept the communications of Frontex, the European border control, and to organize the illegal crossings. However, the radio that was used is a simple off-the-shelf radio and the aid workers such as Binder and Madini argue that they need this equipment and the chats as they enable them to locate the refugees in need. Of course, these are serious charges. Thus, if they had been convicted, they would have faced 25 years in prison each. This was met with international outcry from around the world, with Human Rights Watch, Frontline Defenders and the UN Special Rapporteur for Human Rights Defenders and many others calling the charges farcical. The issue was raised by MEPs in the European Parliament and Greece began to come under pressure. To give the listeners more context on this issue, we will discuss the case of Sean Binder in more detail. Binder was released on bail in December 2018 after spending more than 100 days in a prison in Athens. The trial date was set for early January 2023, whereby the court found that there was not enough substantial evidence to move forward with the trial. Therefore, the misdemeanor charges will not go ahead. However, This is not a declaration of innocence for those accused, as they still face charges for various alleged crimes. The accused claim that they want to see the rule of law enforced and protected, and that they were simply defending and acting upon the UN's law of the sea. Under Greek law, the state can still pursue charges against the accused for up to 15 years. These include alleged aiding and abetting illegal entry. If Binder were convicted, the sentence for this crime alone could be detrimental. 10 years for each person the volunteer assisted as they have searched and rescued thousands of people 
that would mean 20 years in prison, the maximum sentence. Binder has very publicly talked about the trial on his social media and in interviews with numerous news outlets, all in the effort to generate awareness about the trial and to increase pressure on the Greek authorities. For instance, in an article published on the website of the newspaper Die Zeit on the 31st of January 2023, Sean Binder stated that We Europeans like to congratulate ourselves for our values, human rights and the rule of law. As a volunteer, I put them into practice and ended up being imprisoned for just doing that. Moreover, Biner stated, if we allow people to drown in our waters, then we have lost our human rights. Fear-driven, polarizing politics obscure the fact that should be undisputable. No human being should be left at the mercy of death. According to the European Council on Refugees and Exile, the Greek officials were not only criminalizing humanitarian works of the 24. Zara Madini was also banned from entering Greece to attend the trial and testify, which is a violation of the right to present at one's own trial guaranteed in international EU and Greek law. Thus, Sean Binder said that the trial is an attack on the human rights and the rule of law, adding, if I can be criminalized for mostly doing little more than handing out bottles of water and smiles than anyone can. This trial is not just about me or Sarah or even the 22 other defendants. This trial is about the Greek authorities trying to crush compassion and to prevent people from seeking safety. Binder has also pointed out the cooling effect that this trial has caused on humanitarian work in Greece. Many people have been discouraged from joining and participating in humanitarian work out of fear of the legal pressure and charges that have been brought against the others. Humanitarian work has virtually disappeared on the island of Lesbos. While speaking to Irish Current Affairs programme News Talk, where being asked if he was a victim of changing political winds, he said that he believes that the change of thought in recent years that search and rescue is exacerbated by smuggling is one of the reasons for the crackdown on humanitarian aid at the border. Binder's thoughts are supported by the recent EU trends of treating border control as a security issue rather than a human rights issue. As we have seen in the last few years with the introduction or proposal of at least six new bodies and the introduction of two new pieces of legislation, namely EU Regulation 2019, 817 and 818. If this topic interests you, we would recommend to look at the research of Lauren Elric, who is a PhD researcher here at the University of Groningen and has published research on finding the balance between human rights and border security in the EU. It is crucial to closely examine the European migration policies and discuss it in regard to existing laws. The right to seek asylum is derived from Article 14 of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. Moreover, the European Convention on Human Rights prohibits collective deportation, which recently sparked controversy in the UK as they plan to deport asylum seekers to Rwanda. Additionally, the Geneva Convention guarantees that no one may be criminalized for regularly crossing a border to seek asylum. However, looking at cases such as Mohammad Hanad Abdi, it becomes evident that these refugees often have to fear conviction. The 29-year-old Somali was sentenced to 142 years in prison in Greece in 2021 for transporting third-country nationals and endangering the lives of people. In December 2022, Mohammad, then 27 years old, arrived in Lesbos with 33 other refugees in a rubber dinghy coming from the Turkish coast. During this illegal crossing, two people died. Shortly afterwards, he was arrested as an alleged smuggler. Before the court, Abdi said that he had steered the Rabi dinghy only after the group had gotten into distress at sea and did not organize the crossing. Nevertheless, he was still sentenced to 142 years in prison. Abdi appealed the sentence with success. In January 2023, his prison sentence was reduced from 142 years to eight years. Furthermore, the appeal judge ordered his early release due to his good behavior and the fact that he has already served part of his sentence. 
International conventions on the law of the sea oblige the search and rescue of people who are in danger at sea. Binder has repeatedly stated that that was why he was in Lesbos, as he was mandated by international law to help those in need under international maritime law. However, more and more EU member states argue for pushbacks and emphasise return policies for refugees. According to the European Council on Refugees and Exiles, Greece continues to conduct pushbacks. For instance, only in the first week of 2023, the Hellenic Coast Guard stopped 32 boats carrying 1,108 people, marking an increase of 125% in pushbacks compared to the first week of 2022. Moreover, Human Rights Watch and others have repeatedly documented how the Greek Coast Guard has abandoned migrants at sea by violently transferring individuals from Greek islands or from the dinghy upon which they were travelling to motorless inflatable rafts and leaving them adrift near Turkish territorial waters. They've also intercepted and disabled boats carrying migrants by damaging or removing the engine or fuel and towing them back to Turkey or puncturing inflatable boats. In August 2022, the EU Commission stated that it was deeply concerned about all reports and allegations of pushbacks and mistreatment and underlined that any act of violence or pushback is illegal and must be investigated by the national authorities responsible to establish the facts and take the necessary follow-up actions. However, the willingness to confront violations in Greece has been abysmal at EU level and both solidarity declarations from top officials and financial support remains only a token to help those in need at our borders. To hear more about the EU's involvement in this issue, we will now hear from the MEP for Ireland South, Sean Binder's representative in the European Parliament, Grace O'Sullivan. We would like to thank Grace for taking the time to talk to us. So who are you and what is your background? My name is Grace O'Sullivan. I'm a member of the European Parliament for the constituency of Ireland South, which is actually 12 counties in the south of Ireland. And I work in Brussels, Strasbourg, and uh, in the constituency, and I go off and travel on different EU missions. And that's where we go out to really uh, get a sense of what the issues are that we're legislating for when we're back in um, the Parliament and, and just seeing what's happening on the ground. And I suppose one of my roles is very much being an advocate for people who uh, need support. And so I'm very happy to do that on behalf of the constituents that I represent. So how did you get involved in the Sean Binder case? Well, I suppose it is the Sean Binder and the search and rescue humanitarian workers case um, that I've been involved in for at least uh, the last two years. And initially I would have been contacted by Sean Binder and informed of his situation. This would have been nearly two years ago uh, when I was first elected. And I took particular interest for a number of reasons. One, because of my own background in rescue and search and rescue um, when I was younger and working with the RNLI, the lifeboat in Tremor and uh, also been at sea with Greenpeace. And just the thought of Sean's story as he told it to me the fact that he was with others in Lesbos, working with a humanitarian agency, trying to help people to safety, people who were actually in danger of losing their life at sea. And under the United Nations UNCLOS, um, the Law of the Seas, and under the SOLAS, Safety of Life at Sea, 
for me, the work that Sean was doing and that all mariners are obliged to do under international law is critically important. So when, uh, as I said, Sean told me his story and um, the fact that he and Sarah Mardini and the others that um, he was working with uh, were accused and facing a trial um, and had already spent 100 days in prison and I'd say that 100 days felt like 100 years. Um, then I, I just felt it was incumbent on me to uh, support him. And the fact that when he told me about his time in the prison, the 100 days, I mean, it is horrific to hear um, what these humanitarian workers um, face when they are accused. And this was pre-trial uh, that he was detained and, and imprisoned. Um, so with that, the fact that he was from, grew up in Castle Martyr, or Castle Gregory in Kerry, and that he himself was a surfer, and I'm a coach of surfing, and the fact, you know, that he, I suppose I, I kind of um, got very familiar with his life story, and then I, with my team in Brussels, advised Sean to apply for an Irish passport because even though he spent all of his formative young years up to the age of, of uh, probably 20 because he went to college in Trinity College Dublin, he had grown up in Ireland um, and gone to the Kaloshta down in Castle Gregory. He holds a German passport and I thought if Ireland as a member state of the European Union if we were to be able to offer him uh, support, and particularly diplomatic support, that it would have been better that he uh, held an Irish passport. So that was one uh, suggestion. And then I met Sean, spoke to him regularly, as did my team, and really, I suppose, uh, found that, you know, that possibly my position as a member of the European Parliament could um, help his case. Um, and so then we invited him to Strasbourg to hold a press conference in the European Parliament Strasbourg with another member, one of the other humanitarian workers, Peter Wittenstein from the Netherlands, who himself was a retired investment banker. So it just gives you an idea of the kinds of people who go out to give up their time and very often as volunteers in the Mediterranean Sea to save lives. So they came to Strasbourg and met with the international press, met with MEPs and we also did a letter to um, the European Commission from the European Parliament. So more than 89 uh, MEPs signed that letter in support of the humanitarians. And, and so that was really kind of uh, the basic support I, I was able to give Sean. But then the court case, the trial date came up and I just thought, gosh, if I was there in Lesbos with Sean, at least for me, and I don't know um, about anyone listening to this podcast, for me to be in situ or in the actual place um, where a trial or where a situation is happening, um, it's much easier to kind of grasp what's going on. So I uh, had offered to Sean that I would come down to Lesbos. And that's what I did with Manus, who works with me. We went down and we met Sean and we met his family and we met the other humanitarian the people who were being uh, charged. And we were there for the court case 
and then we also met with other uh, refugees there. We went into the UNHCR, the uh, human rights camp. So I really got that ground experience of what it's like in Lesbos and probably very similar to other islands in the Mediterranean or other borders where migrants who in many cases are seeking persecution in their own countries or um, all kinds of very uh, difficult situations where they cross into Europe. And I think what is important is that the reason many migrants come to Europe is they see Europe as a chance, a, a hope of a kind of freedom from persecution or from very harsh uh, regimes. And so, yeah, it really it was more than just being there for Sean and the other humanitarians. In the end, it was a massive education for me and that I can use as we create and amend legislation and as we get the opportunity to talk about the pathway of migrants into the European uh, Union. But really, really interesting to hear the stories. And one of the stories that really impacted on me was from the daughter of a migrant who had come across, uh, I think it was from Syria years ago, had fled in, into um, Manchester. What she explained to me was that the journey, the migration route is so perilous, it's so incredibly dangerous that very often the men come together in groups and they seek refuge and asylum in countries. And then when they manage to get acknowledged and their applications are processed and they get the opportunity to stay in a country, then they work through the process of family reunification. And that's to bring maybe their, their wife, their, their children into a country. So that, I just want to make the point that that's why sometimes you see groups of men traveling because the risk of migration, the journey itself is not without huge dangers. And we hear that every day. So it was uh, interesting. The other thing I just want to say about Sean Binder, I mean, he is a, a remarkable person. And, you know, he made my life very easy in terms of supporting him because uh, he is, you know, he's just got such a, a big heart and is a very, very smart and bright young man. And, you know, when it comes to uh, search and rescue and the work he was doing and the ships that are in the Mediterranean, the crews on those, I think I, I really do empathise with them. Myself having spent years at sea with Greenpeace, um, I, I just know the importance of saving lives at sea. So uh, how can the EU ensure that Greece adheres to humanitarian law? So the first thing uh, we have to do in the, in the EU uh, is to make sure that the rules that are already in place, the rules and the guidelines, that they are enforced. So it's really important that the EU you know, um, holds Greece accountable to make sure that they're not flaunting the law. And we need to do that you know, as a union. And then already you know, we've seen that the EU agency Frontex has helped cover up crimes such as pushbacks. And we've seen that in reports. And we know that um, in some cases, refugees have been picked up and pushed back out of EU waters towards Turkey and Libya. And that is just uh, totally unacceptable. So if, I mean, if EU agencies are breaking the law, then how can we expect the EU to stand up to member states 
and so we have to really again hold Frontex as well to account for that type of pushback behaviour and then the other member states such as Poland and Hungary um, also they have to be held accountable because this each issues of breaching of the rule of law in those countries so it really is high time that we do that there's no reason why similar mechanisms can't be used also in the case of Greece and Bulgaria and other member states as well where the laws have been ignored and finally the EU has a framework for uh, migration and asylum procedures but it's actually under discussion and up for reform uh, this year by the European Commission so we need to make sure that the reform is based on the principle of solidarity and the opening legal migration pathways um, and not just building walls because migration is it's here and it has been here for you know it's it, for a long long time so there's no point in us uh, thinking that by building walls that will keep people away if we build the walls and um, migrants will find ways in and i'd rather that we do it legally than creating now what's happening is uh, illegal pathways so how has the eu reacted differently to the crisis in ukraine and other humanitarian crises well, in terms of, of the difference in relation to how EU has reacted to the situation in Ukraine and other humanitarian crises is, I suppose, Ukraine was, it was such a radical situation in that from one day to the other, there was this unprovoked attack on the civilians and on Ukraine. And I think it was like such a shock not only for those in Ukraine, but for the whole of Europe and the whole of the world. Um, so the response to the situation in the Ukraine by the EU, and particularly in terms of humanitarian support, has been, has been great. It's been a real, this, from the get-go, people in the EU, the 27 member states, there was a real sense that we wanted to be there to support the Ukrainians and to work in solidarity and to, in the first instance, offer as much humanitarian aid as we possibly could. So that's why I just want to, to say that it really was a, a shock and a gut reaction to just a horrendous attack by Russia on the Ukrainians. Then in terms of why it's different to the situation, um, maybe in humanitarian situation in other countries, along the EU border is that back in 2015 we saw a big rise in the movement of uh, migrants into Italy and Greece and we saw how there was you know there were uh, concerns and fears at the time but what was different was that you had countries like Germany under the leadership of Angela Merkel who basically said, look, our doors are open and we want to offer as much uh, support as possible. So that you had migrants moving from different countries and there was definitely a feeling of openness in Europe to help those seeking refuge. And I think another really big issue, uh, let's say another big event in 2015 was when the, the young body of Alan Kurdi washed in on a beach in the Mediterranean and I just think people were so shocked to see um, the hardship that uh, migrants face when um, seeking refuge. So what's happened in the last few years is that 
Some countries, like Greece, uh, for instance, is starting to kind of have a pushback and that the openness to receiving migrants, that acceptance and that recognition of the journey of migrants, is there's a kind of a, a hardness forming. And we're seeing movement from the far right who are saying, you know, basically that um, we don't want these people coming into our countries. And, um, you know, we do have in Europe, we do have in, in many countries issues around housing and uh, cost of living now, obviously, as a result of the war in Ukraine. So there's a bit a, a different attitude, a shift in attitude between 2015 now and 2023. I think we're seeing that and I think that is creating difficulties but you know in the end anyone whose life is threatened and in danger and must leave their country uh, and are seeking uh, humanitarian support and seeking the rights under you know uh, human rights declarations and conventions then I believe in Europe that we should and we can open our doors and open our hearts to make sure that we can do our best to give people refuge. Uh, so last question, uh, what is the current attitude of the Parliament to the Commission and EU agencies on asylum? I would say that the Parliament is split at the moment in terms of the approach to migration and um, there's a really strong conservative and right-wing voice that is calling for a hardening of the EU borders and this is a really big problem. And the Green Group do not uh, support this at all. But we have been united, so all parties have been united in terms of our criticism of Frontex, which continues to receive massive budget, EU budget, despite many, many human rights abuses that it's been accused of. So then in terms of the, the reform of the migration and the asylum pact, it's going to be a difficult fight to try to push that principle of solidarity and unity and we're going to have to really work hard to ensure that the reform is fair and decent and that we recognise the plight of those who are seeking asylum and uh, support. So look, thank you very, very much for the opportunity to talk about migration, asylum and um, plight of refugees and uh, particularly to talk about the humanitarians and those involved in search and rescue in the Mediterranean Sea. Thank you. We would like to thank Grace O'Sullivan again for her participation in this episode. It is great to have the thoughts from someone so close to the issue. That's it for today's episode. Thank you so much to everyone who tuned in. We hope you found this episode as insightful as we did. And of course, we hope you will tune in next time. Many thanks from your Dura Lex at Lex team.